if you will, turn in your Bibles to the 21st chapter of the book of Acts, beginning in verse 20, as we continue our study through the Word. Now, you remember that we've been following Paul's journey as he has been desirous uh, of returning back to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. You'll remember that he wintered in Corinth, and then from Corinth, it was time to head back. He was going to sail directly back, you'll remember, and there was a, a plot hatched against his life, and uh, and so you'll remember that uh, that he takes the different route, the search fortuitous route uh, around the sea and he sails past uh, Ephesus you'll remember and stops in Miletus and uh, Eutychus falls out of the window and he heals him and he, he continues his exploits and his journeys as he is bringing that tremendous offering to the church there in Jerusalem and and as he gets now to Jerusalem, we see that they, they are receiving him well. He comes to speak with the elders, James and the others that are collected there. But also remember that in the back of his mind uh, or in the front of his mind, either one, every city that he stops at along the way, the spirit has been telling him that chains await him, that a storm awaits him, that trouble awaits waits for him there in Jerusalem. And so we see that there is this conflicted state that he is in. Remember that even his own uh, missionary team is telling Paul, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And, and you remember what Paul's response was. He, he says, why do you break my heart? Uh, this is God's will in my life, and, and I need your support. Uh, we always need to encourage and support one another in a accomplishing the will of God in our lives, even when oftentimes God's will in our life is the difficult path. Broad is the way, smooth and easy is the way that leads to destruction. But God calls us to a, a path of self-denial, of self, of serving others. And, and you remember that Paul says that I don't count my life dear to myself. And, and so we see that Paul now comes and you remember that the prophet Agabus is there and asked for Paul's belt and and ties up uh, his own hands and feet and says thus this awaits for the person who owns this belt there in Jerusalem the feast of Pentecost is uh, in swing now Paul has made it in time the feast of Pentecost was such a time of great rejoicing there were the three great feasts uh, there in Jerusalem and Pentecost feast of Passover and, and tabernacles but Pentecost was the one that was the most widely attended of all of the feasts and and so there is a great celebratory nature that is going on there within the city the pilgrims would come from all over the world, the Jews from all over the world to come and to worship there. And it was a time of reconnecting with each other. Family members that lived in different areas would meet in Jerusalem and neighbors and friends that now had moved to other areas. Everybody meets back in Jerusalem and it's a time of catching up with everybody and family reunions and celebration. It's a time to come in and worship God and yet 
the Holy Spirit has been telling Paul that difficulties and trials and chains even await for you. Paul comes into the city and everybody is about their business, the busyness uh, of the feast. He, he comes to the church elders. They, they receive him. So far, so good. <laughs> He is now going to give his report, and you'll remember that they, he, he gave it in great detail to the, to the elders, the way that the Spirit was on the move in the churches throughout the, the, the Gentile cities where he had been planting the churches, and the work was being blessed, and there were so many people getting saved, and, and so Paul gives them the report of how the missionary journeys have been going, and, and in verse 20, we see see their response it says and when they heard it they glorified the Lord and they said to him you see brother how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed and they are all zealous uh, for the law but they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs and and so here we see the first indication of the concern of what is happening there in Jerusalem. Paul, there's trouble in River City. There are people that are going around and saying that you are against the temple, that you are against God, that you are against the Jews, and that you are teaching the Jews that live outside of Jerusalem, outside of Israel, to not uh, obey any of the customs uh, or the laws. And, and so here we see that uh, th this was the information Paul's missionary journeys have been being blessed and, and yet there is this report that has come back. In verse 22 it says, What then? The assembly must certainly meet for they will hear that you have come. And, and Paul, this, this is controversial and people are talking about it and we have to do something uh, about this. And, and therefore do what we tell you we have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and, and keep the law. They advise Paul to join now and sponsor these four Jewish Christians uh, here that are going to take and, and celebrate probably their Nazarite vow. It says a vow, but uh, the Nazarite vow you would at the end of your vow, you would shave your head and then offer that uh, Nazarite time unto the Lord. And, and then with it, there would be a lamb offering and there would be other offerings, a grain offering, and all that you would bring before the Lord when you were completing your Nazarite vow. So the plan is, Paul, let's show them that you still walk orderly and by joining with these uh, others, sponsor them and then be a part of them and, and then we can use that to be able to refute whatever it is that is being said. They will see you there in the temple and, and consecrated unto the Lord. And so this would convince them that Paul is not preaching against Jewish laws and customs uh, for the Christians who wanted to observe them. We 
see that not observing the law, Paul was not against observing the customs. Paul was not observed, doesn't care whether or not you eat kosher, you don't eat kosher. If you want to eat kosher food, if you want to continue in the customs uh, of the faith, Paul never taught against uh, those. Paul taught that you weren't saved by the keeping uh, of the law. And so here we see that, uh, that this was now being construed, that, uh, that he was in opposition to the law. The law was given by God. The law is good. The law is a taskmaster that leads us uh, under God, convicts us of our, uh, of our sin. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. He says, I came to what? to fulfill the law. And so Paul is not against the law. He's against the misuse of the law. And so here we see that this was being construed to where he's against uh, the law. And so, but concerning the Gentiles who believe, uh, we have uh, written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual uh, immorality. And and so here we see that Paul had been teaching, you'll remember the, the issue happened in Antioch, the, uh, the church where Paul had been working out of, where the Judaizers had come in and told all of the Gentiles that you're not saved by just putting your faith in Jesus Christ, but you have to be circumcised. You have to come uh, underneath the law in order to be saved. And you'll remember that that ended up back in Jerusalem to the Jerusalem Council that takes place. And it was there at that Jerusalem Council that they had declared uh, that a person does not need to become Jewish in order to be saved, but just don't eat things that have been strangled and aren't filled with blood. And this was, these were the considerations in order for the Jews and the Gentiles to fellowship together with one another. But Paul is telling him this taken from the place of where Paul has been declaring to the Gentiles that they don't need to be circumcised to the where Paul is being accused that he is forbidding Jews to circumcise their own kids now once again remember that circumcision was the mark of the Abrahamic covenant of gods and children and so a person isn't saved by circumcision but if a Jew wants to circumcise his son on the eighth day Paul was not not speaking against that we don't have any record uh, whatsoever uh, that Paul was telling Jews not to continue in their customs but uh, that we are not saved by obedience uh, to the law this is what Paul was preaching and so verse 26 then Paul took the men and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. And so the next day, they purify themselves and they enter into the temple. And, and so they're going to offer up their, their offerings now to complete their, their vow. And how glorious and celebratory the temple and all of the people, the worshipers that are coming to worship. It is the feast of Pentecost and, and just a glorious, glorious time. It was on the feast of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit 
Spirit was poured out. The church was born on the day of Pentecost, at the Feast of Pentecost. And, and so being there and celebrating, being in the temple now and coming and offering your gifts. And, and it says in verse 27, and when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews uh, from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and, and laid hands uh, on him. So the feast has been progressing along and, and all of a sudden there are these Jews that are from Asia. Remember that Ephesus is in Asia and remember the riot that took place there in Ephesus when everybody went down to the theater and were shouting great is Diana and, and the tremendous opposition to Paul. So here are these Jews that are from the area of Asia possibly even Ephesus uh, itself and and suddenly they recognize um, Paul and they're like this is the troublemaker this is that guy that, that we had a riot over there in Asia and they start now and creating a ruckus they they lay hands uh, on him it says uh, uh, here and and verse 28 crying out men of Israel help this is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people the law and this place and furthermore he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled uh, this holy place. So there is this beginning of this uproar that, uh, that takes place and they lay hands on him and start shouting that this is the troublemaker who is speaking against us. Now remember that these are non-Christian Jews that are there to celebrate the feast of um, Passover and they're the ones that did not accept Jesus uh, as the Messiah and, and so here we see that they are coming against to Paul. They accuse him of being against the people, against the Jewish people, against the law and against the the temple itself and he's defiled uh, the temple by bringing gentiles uh, uh, into the very temple itself now that was a serious charge to desecrate the the temple itself you remember that surrounding the temple was the court of the gentiles in the court of the Gentiles, all the people of the world were welcome to come and to worship God and to enter inside the, the walls into the court of the Gentiles. But then there was a gate. It was known as the women's gate. And it led from the court of the Gentiles into the court of the women. Now, the women's court had a gate also. And through there, it went into the court of the men. And then the men's court had a gate. And that went into the court of the priests. And then the priests there were surrounding the temple itself and the bronze labor and all that stood right outside of the, the entrance into the holy place. And, and so outside of the women's gate, there was a sign that said death to any non-Jew who would enter past this gate here. And so the, the keeping out of the Gentiles. Now, you'll remember that the Romans did not allow capital punishment uh, within their uh, regime, but they never made them take that sign down, uh, and they allowed the Jews to kind of self-police that issue. They kind of turned the other way when it came to that issue. 
the charge here is is that Paul has brought Gentiles uh, past that gate and into the very temple itself desecrating. Now that would just be a shocking, uh, unbelievable charge against uh, Paul that would instantly uh, raise the hackles of every single Jew that would uh, hear that. And and so the the accusation that he, he has brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place during a feast time when the worshipers are are all there he has done this and so here we see that Luke gives us a little note he says in verse 29 for they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. So you remember that they had shaved their heads, uh, those four that he had sponsored. Now, they think that one of those that had the shaved head was Trophimus, the Greek that he had been seen with uh, earlier, and that now he has brought him uh, into the the temple itself. And, And so... Verse 30, and and all the city was disturbed and the people ran together, seized Paul and and dragged him out of the temple and immediately the doors were shut. How can one person get in so much trouble everywhere that he goes? (laughs) Here we see the the tumult that takes place now and they grab Paul and they drag him out there shouting and screaming and they're yelling and they slam the temple doors closed the gate and now from the court of the Gentiles into the court of the women they slam those and closed and and now they start to to beat him it says in verse 31 now as they were seeking to what kill him so now they're going to take him apart limb by limb remember that it was the sign that said that you know if anybody defames this or defiles this that their own blood will be upon their head so they are going to uh, to take justice uh, into their own hands and they are going to kill paul and it says in news came to the commander of the garrison that all jerusalem was in an uproar and he immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them and when they saw the commander and the soldiers they stopped beating Paul now the Antonio fortress there is the the temple and the temple walls and and on the northwest corner up on the temple mount was what was known as the Antonio fortress and that was where they garrisoned the soldiers there in Jerusalem you remember that Caesarea is where the soldiers stayed except during the feast time and what they would do is because all of the Jews were gathering to Jerusalem from all over the world this was always a a time of nervousness for the uh, Romans uh, knowing that the Jews were excitable and that they were all congregating together and and so what they would do is for those feasts they would increase their military presence uh, and so they would bring the soldiers uh, and garrison them right there in the Antonio fortress now the Antonio fortress was built uh, up taller than the walls of the temple itself so from the Antonio fortress they could look down into 
into the, the Temple Mount uh, area and kind of oversee and supervise what was going on. The tumult begins, and remember that they're already on their guard. They are seeking to make sure that no riots take place and no rebellions take place and no uh, uprisings. And so they are quick uh, onto the matter. Paul gets dragged uh, out of the, uh, the, the temple itself, and they slam the doors, and they start to beat him. But the soldiers now, uh, they are quick in their response, and, and they get to Paul before Paul is killed. Once again, remember that uh, taking the uh, law into your own hands with the Romans was not something that you were allowed to do. And so as the soldiers come over and they are thumping on Paul, they, they see the soldiers and now they all kind of stand up and, and back away from Paul here. And seeing the commander, it says that they, uh, they stopped beating Paul and uh, in verse 33, and then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who he was and what he had done. I wonder if uh, as those chains were clasped uh, onto Paul that uh, he was thinking about the prophecy of uh, Agabus that told him that chains uh, awaited the man that uh, owned this belt. And, and here is Paul now being clamped uh, literally with those chains. The commander is interested in keeping peace there. He wants to know who Paul is. Why is there such a, <laughs> a demonstration going on? Who are you and uh, what have you done? And so some of the multitude cried one thing and some another. And so when he could not ascertain the truth, because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. And, and so here we see that, uh, that Paul now is being arrested and taken into custody. He's trying to understand the situation, the circumstances. And it says that there was such a tumult going on that it was difficult to, to perceive or to understand the truth. I see that that has happening in our nation today, that there is such a tumult uh, of, uh, of emotion. There is so much compression that is going on on so many different issues that it's difficult to know what the, what the truth is. We seem to have experts on every side that all are contradicting one another and, and everybody is emotionally agitated uh, increasingly and, and it is difficult to discern the, the truth of what is actually going on. The Bible tells us to be still and what? Be still and know that I am God. That when emotions are running high, it is difficult to press in and to hear the truth of what the Spirit is leading. Here we see that the crowd is shouting all different things. The commander is trying to sort through what, what is the truth uh, of the matter. And, and so he is going to extract Paul to where things can calm down and he can discover what the truth uh, actually is. And, and so here we see that he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. And, and when he reached the stairs... 
He had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob for the multitude of the people followed after crying out away with him. The crowd is so thick, so agitated as they get to the staircase. Paul is just kind of passed right over the crowd and onto the staircase. There is an outdoor staircase that led around uh, on the Antonio Fortress and and Paul now is going to be taken up this staircase and, and And they are shouting away with him, away with him. But the shout away with him does not mean take him away. It means remove him from the face of the earth. It means kill him. We we want him absolutely uh, obliterated. And so the the mob is now screaming for the death uh, of um, Paul. Then as Paul, verse 37, was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? And he replied, can you speak in Greek? We see that this Roman commander was surprised that Paul was an educated man who could speak in Greek. And, and so he replies, can you speak Greek? In verse 38, are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins uh, out into the wilderness? Now, in AD 54, there was this man who had come from Egypt and he had claimed that he had great powers and that he was going to lead a rebellion against the Romans and that his power was going to effectively assure them of success over the Romans. And and so he brings these followers of his, about 4,000 in number, to the Mount of Olives. And there he is going to command that the, the walls fall down and that they are going to sweep in and, and they are going to overthrow the Roman occupation there beginning in Jerusalem and, and moving through. There was fervent following behind him and, and so he brings the 4,000 over and, and he's ready for the walls to fall down and the walls don't fall down and the Roman soldiers come out and, and they chase the terrorists. They arrested many of them but they did not capture the the leader when Paul is there and the people are screaming and shouting he believes that Paul must be this uh, Egyptian leader that had uh, led these terrorists uh, back a while and uh, and so he believes that he has the identification of Paul and and an understanding of why there was such an impassioned outcry against him and so Verse 39, after Paul is accused of being this Egyptian, Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. Paul says, I'm not that Egyptian, I'm a Jew. I come from Tarsus there in Cilicia. He says, let me address the people. You see, as Paul is climbing up the stairs, the stairs overlook the Temple Mount and, and all of the people that are below. Paul says, let me speak to him. Let me calm down this whole situation. Now, remember that a commander, the commander wants nothing more than peace there in the Temple Mountain amongst the people. And, and so Paul says, let, let me 
let me quiet this all down for you. And, and so we see here that when he had given him permission, verse 40, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language and saying, you remember that Paul has a heart for the Jews. Paul has a, a, a desire to free everybody who is stuck underneath the bondage uh, of the law. Remember that Paul himself was a Pharisee. Remember that he was more zealous than, than anybody. He sat underneath the feet of Gamaliel and, and he sought to please God through the keeping of the law. He sought to be justified before God by keeping the law. And Paul worked at it harder than anybody else uh, uh, that you could even imagine or mm, think of. Thinking that he could be worthy of entering into heaven by being better than everybody else at the mm, keeping of the law. It was a giant competition and, and God was gonna grade your life on a curve and, and no one exactly knows where that curve is. So you need to make sure that you're in that top group, whatever that top group is. Paul wasn't gonna be in the top group. He wanted to be number one. He wanted to make sure that, that you know when those doors were opened up, Paul's name is going to be called and and he is going to walk in as a a champion person here upon the earth that God is so well pleased with and and his ambition to pleasing God and his fervency and his passion until he discovered that you can't earn your way into heaven that it's a free gift that God offers forgiveness uh, of sins through Jesus Christ. And you remember he didn't discover it on his own. He was off persecuting the Christians and was on his road to Damascus when the Lord himself confronts him and knocks him right down onto his face. From that moment on, Paul saw all the other Jews that were following in the same footsteps that he had been in. He saw all the other Jews that were working so hard to earn their way into heaven and his heart broke now, not only for his own actions and the way that he had been filled with, with pride and seeking now to be acceptable by a holy, righteous God, but his heart broke now for all those who were trying so hard to deserve the love of God that God already has given to every single person. For God so loves the world. God loved us when we were yet sinners, when we were alienated, when we were separated with them. A child does not need to earn the love of their parents. They are loved before they are even born. Before you even see the face of your child, you, you talk to it in the womb and, and tell them how excited you are to see them when they come out. They, we don't love our children because they are neater or cleaner or that they can color inside of the, the, the lines. They don't earn our love. They are born out of love and they are born into love. You were created by God in love. He, he loves you already. 
And to think of all of those people who are trying to earn God's uh, love, thinking if they're just good enough that God will love me and allow me to be with him for all eternity. Paul wanted to set, wanted to set all the Jews free uh, of that. He recognized that that forgiveness of sin had been promised throughout the entire Old Testament that there was coming the, the deliverer, the Savior that would cleanse us from unrighteousness. And remember the Jews didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but Paul knew for an absolute fact that Jesus is the Messiah. And he wanted more than anything to to be able to communicate that truth to his countrymen, to the Jews. But you remember that, uh, that God had made him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And so Paul was obedient to go to the Gentiles, but his heart always was for the Jews first. And now he finds himself in Jerusalem on top of the Antonio Fortress with the nation basically in front of him there. And he thinks, this is my chance. This is what I've been waiting for my entire life. Yes, I've been planting churches uh, throughout the Gentile cities and, and doing that work, but this... This is what I was born for. And, and so we, we see Paul now, and he steps up, and he speaks to them in the Hebrew language, and, and this is what he says. We'll get to that next week. Uh, <laughs> we close our study here right now. I want to draw our attention for just a minute back to verse 26. Uh, Back to where it says, Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, he entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification. Paul enters the, the temple after having been purified. The coming to the temple in Jerusalem was the highlights of the year in a person's life. To live out in the country and to live wherever you lived, you, you made your trek to the temple. And what was so exciting about the temple was you get to come into the closeness of the proximity of God. I want you to just think about that for a minute. If, if God was actually in a location and you could then approach the location of where God dwelt. God had taken Jerusalem from all of the, uh, the places on the face of the earth and he put his finger right there in Jerusalem. He said, this is where I am going to meet with my creation. Here in the Holy of Holies inside the, the temple there in Jerusalem. And, and so to come and to journey from wherever you were to to come and to meet with God if you were to have a meeting with God a week from now there was a an appointment in time that that you were going to come into his holy presence come into the majesty and power and glory of God himself they would stop working 
and they would make their journey and for many of them it would take days and days to travel they are traveling to jerusalem and and during that time you would be examining yourself examining your relationship with god examining your priorities in your life how you have been living and conducting yourself since the the last time that you had journeyed there if you lived outside of a certain radius as a male, you were required once a year to attend one of the feasts to come to the house of the Lord and to worship. You were involved in synagogues. Synagogues were your local gathering places wherever you were, but you were not allowed to ever offer any sacrifices there at the synagogue. There was only one place you could bring your sacrifice to God, and that was in Jerusalem. You would ascend uh, up the holy mountain for Jerusalem sits on top of Mount Zion and from whatever direction you would approach you would ascend up to Jerusalem and, and coming in and, and approaching with all of the other pilgrims that are now also on this spiritual journey to the temple, to the epicenter of your faith there as you arrive there is the great mm, festival of the pilgrims that are going on but at the same time you are going to come and bring an offering to God a check-in if you will with God himself when you were going to enter into the the sacredness of the mm, temple the temple was awe-inspiring I mean awe-inspiring it, it was seven stories high a seven-story building whoever saw that in those mm, days it it gleamed with white marble that it was uh, inlaid overlaid uh, with and the gold that was trimmed uh, on it was just beyond anything that you could even imagine it was the house of God where God's presence was dwelling there with us with man a holy perfect righteous God dwelling in the temple and you were going to approach him and the first thing that you would recognize is your unworthiness to approach God your absolute unworthiness it says that in the best of our works are as filthy rags before God. Being aware of how far we fall short. Now, for us, we're, we're aware of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but they had the law that they were required to keep in every single aspect of it, and there was no one that could keep the law. And so you came absolutely in a, a place and a recognition that you have not succeeded in your righteousness before God. They would purify themselves before they ever went into the, the temple. They are called mikvahs. They are a ceremonial bath that, that you would enter in. They... they enter you in and you would leave your outer cloak in your coat and you would walk down these steps and into the the water 
you would be cleansed there, ceremonially purified of all of your, your sin, your shortcomings, your failures. And, and you would walk back up the stairs and, and then in that ante room you would retrieve your, your cloak. There were hundreds of mikvahs outside of the southern steppes. Today, if you go to Israel, you can see the remains of all of these mikvahs where the, uh, the pilgrims were going to come. The southern steppes were the ascent up to the Temple Mount and uh, was the most common way into the, uh, the temple. There was the, the sense of, of being washed and cleansed and ready now to to enter into the presence of God up on the temple mount to bring your gift your sacrifice to God in humble adoration of his goodness his greatness his kindness his love his mercy how great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And to be able to, to come to a moment like that in your life was stunning. It was spectacular. Jesus Christ said that he didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. And you see that, that mikvah, that, that ceremonial bath that they were taking, they, they were dealing with the externals uh, in their lives, but, but you see it was really all about the internal. See, God looks at the inward man. God sees the condition of our hearts and God sees the condition of our lives and and there is none that would step into the presence of God believing that they are worthy to stand in his glorious presence. There is the need for purification before you can come into his holy presence because you see, God will not fellowship with sin. God will not allow sin to be in his presence and to fellowship and to tarnish the perfection and the glory of God. And so when you would go to the temple, you would go through the mikvah and purify yourself to, to ready yourself to enter into the, the presence of God. You see, all of it was a typology. You see, Jesus Christ is the mikvah. You see, it is in him that we are washed and cleansed and purified and made ready to enter into the presence of perfection and glory and power and beauty. God is so infinite. We can't even begin to wrap our minds around his power he, he he created the heavens and the earth and everything that is uh, around us and and gave it all to us just as a playground he loves you more than words can ever explain 
and he gave us his son, the mikvah, to purify ourselves that we might come into his presence. How glorious it was for the pilgrims to journey there to Jerusalem, a time of introspection, a time of getting ready to meet with God in a time of purifying themselves. And may we also experience the wonder and the amazement of, of being able to be purified uh, in the living mikvah, in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that we may enter into fellowship and communion with this amazing God that we love and serve, uh, who knows you by name and has every hair on your head counted uh, and longs for the day when you will stand in his presence uh, and you will hear the words, well done, well done, welcome, welcome into my presence forever. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. And God, thank you for that moment that waits ahead of us and what joy we have in our hearts, Lord, knowing that, that the bells will ring and the gates will be opened and we will be welcomed in. Because we walked into the living mikvah of Jesus Christ and had our sins washed away. God, help us to live like we are loved because we are indeed loved by you. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.